This is the last episode in our motherhood series with an episode that I'm calling the sacrifice and the payoff. Now, you probably don't need a refresher on the sacrifice part, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. Today, we're finishing the motherhood series. I hope you found it edifying and you've got some takeaways that you're holding on to. Where one series ends, another begins. So stay tuned to the very end of the episode to find out what we'll be studying next. So first of all, if you're a mom, there's a good chance you had to sacrifice nine months of your body and it did not, um, your body didn't start and end the same way after pregnancy. I was very nauseated, threw up a lot, with my first pregnancy, there is a lot of changes that happen in your body and all, I mean, all wonderful things. We we're so happy to have a baby, you know, there's no complaints for me, um, but it does change you. Motherhood changes you and each pregnancy is different. Each pregnancy is hard on your body in a different way. And some people had a whole lot more than others. Some people ended up on bed rest. Some people ended up having a very traumatic birth. You know, were in the hospital for a long time, had a premature baby, the baby was in the hospital for a long time. Um, changes happen in your body. You have a C-section, there's noticeable changes. Um, so there, the whole birth process is really sacrificial for the mom. My mom used to always say, you know, the, the man plants the seed and he goes off on his merry way. Nothing changes for the man. They can go to work. They don't have to worry about losing sleep. They feel fine. They just go on their merry way. But for the woman, everything changes almost from day one. Um, you know, as far as your hormone levels change, and so you get mood swings, and then you start getting nauseated, and then just a whole whole litany of things that start changing within your body. And again, um, I probably won't dwell on this, but the fact is that our experience with labor and deliver delivery is meant to remind us of our need for a savior. So in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they were cursed. The whole world was cursed with them. And to Adam, God said that his work would no longer just be a pleasure. It would also be stressful. There would be toil. There would be labor. This, there'd be weeds. There'd be all kinds of things that would make his work a heartache. To Eve, God said, you're going to have pain in childbirth. So the thing that we love the most, other than our, our spouses, our children, would be a lot of work to bring into the world. And so when we go through the whole pregnancy process and labor and delivery, which is grueling and horrific and awful, even if you had a better experience than others, it's still work and it's still painful and it's still a process. Um, we're supposed to remember our sinfulness and it is supposed to bring us to a point of saying, I definitely need a savior. 
because this is hard and this hurts. And so hopefully that's what it did. I think a lot of us (laughs) said and did a lot of things in labor that definitely remind us we need a savior. So I told Pastor Mike in one of the interviews that we did when I was um, actively in labor with my first, I was praying in my mind and I was saying, you know, Jesus, this is one thing you never went through. So, you know, though you are my high priest who I can go to, in this situation, you've never given birth. You have no idea the pain that I'm experiencing, what's going on in my body right now, how horrible this is. And within seconds, the thought went into my mind, how foolish that was because Jesus hung on a cross and carried the weight of my sins. So he experienced far more than I ever did. But in the depths of labor and labor and delivery, I was challenging God, especially Jesus, that he maybe had not suffered as much as I had, which was complete and total foolishness. But that's where my mind was at the point. God forgive me because I was in a lot of pain. Uh, anyway, so we we give up our body to some extent. And I'm, I'm not going to dwell on that, but there is one thing I would like to say. If you are a new mom or if you are newly pregnant and listening to this, um, I was so sick with my firstborn. With um, I, I did not gain a pound until I was uh, four and a half months pregnant. I was throwing up constantly, but I made up for it very quickly. And I went to my five or six month checkup and I had gained like 15 pounds. And my midwife said, you know, Amber, you probably need to take it easy now. And I told her, well, it just, everything tastes so good now that I can eat again. And she said, I know, but you need to, you know, like this isn't good. You don't want to gain 15 pounds every month. And uh, she suggested I start walking. And at the time, I was furious with her. I mean, furious because I had just gone through months and months and months of throwing up constantly. And I thought, how dare you tell me that I'm gaining too much weight and I need to start walking? I did what she said, even if I did it, you know, despite myself. And it was the best advice that anybody gave me because I did end up gaining a ton of weight in the next four months. But... um it all came off shortly after I had my daughter because I I had been walking and I just kept walking. And um, a nurse that I worked with on the ICU told me um, at that time too, she said, you know, back in my day, they, we used to gain 15 to 25 pounds when we had our babies and they considered that healthy. You'd have your baby, you'd leave the hospital and you'd basically be back to your normal weight. And she said, now everybody looks at it as a license to just like eat and eat and eat and eat. And um, she said that that's just such a struggle. And so those words really impacted me when I was pregnant. And so maybe that will help you to some degree. Um, because when I left the hospital after my firstborn and I had a nine pound baby, so I was thinking I had lost at least 20 pounds and I had lost like 10. So (laughs) it, it doesn't come off as easily, um, as you can put it on. And I am, you know, here to testify to that, but we give up our body. We also give up our time. And this doesn't take long to figure out when you have a newborn, you're up in the middle of the night you're cuddling that baby. You know, you you don't even want to do things that you used to do before. I I would much rather sit on a couch and cuddle my baby than get up and do the dishes or do whatever. But that doesn't stop there. I mean, 
babies, they take a certain degree of time, but it's totally different when your kids start school. And as they get older, it's all time. You know, you're sitting on the couch reading with your child, teaching them how to read. You are um, going to the store to get things for a project. There are so many ways that your whole life after you become a mother, you are giving of your time. And for the most part, we willingly give up our time, but it is a sacrifice that you will make as a mother. We also give up our preferences. So if I had my preferences, I would have never, ever cleaned up vomit. Now I can change diapers all day long, but vomit isn't my thing. Unfortunately, having four children, that was not an option. So my husband worked full time and I stayed home for five or six years. So when our kids got up in the middle of the night and um, threw up all the way from their bedroom down the hallway into the bathroom, it was all on me because my husband would have to get up and work in the morning. So I, I had to do it. And those are the things that you don't get to just opt out of when you have a child. The things that, you know, the stinky socks that you have to wash, the messes, the constant messes that you need to clean up, that's, that's life. And so it's a sacrifice. You just have to sacrifice your preferences because there's no one else there. No one else is coming over to my house in the middle of the night to clean up vomit. I wouldn't ask and it's just not going to happen. So whether I want to or not, it's it's what I have to do. And that goes on all of your motherhood journey. There are so many things that I would have rather not dealt with. There are um, relationship things that I wish we didn't have to deal with. There are things that my children have gotten into, messes, that we had to deal with. And again, I would rather we didn't. But it was life and life is messy. And so you give up your preferences as to what you want to do or not do when you have children because you are suddenly put into situations that you have to deal with. Um, those are some of the things that we sacrifice. But now what do we gain by becoming a mom? First of all, we gain undeserved love. There is nothing like a baby cuddling and just, oh, putting their body into you. Or when they get a little older, they're a few months old, four or five, six months old, and they start to cry and you go to pick them up and they smile and they calm and they just are so comforted by their mother. That does not change. Now, granted, I know that a lot of people in, are in situations where they have a, a rough relationship with their child. We all go through those. And some seasons last longer than others. I know some people are very, very heartbroken because their relationship with their children is very strained. And they're not feeling that undeserved love. And God help them to rebuild those relationships. God work in the hearts of both so that that can be rebuilt. But in a in a normal, healthy relationship, you go through those bumps and you go through those bruises. You go through those seasons where your child really does not like you. Um, in the teen years, the young adult years, those come out loud and clear. When you 
tell your child this is what is right. This is what is good. And they don't want to hear that. And they rebel. And you're so old fashioned. You're so this, 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 and this. You know, you're not feeling that undeserved love and um, sacrificial love on their part that they just love you and, you know, will do what you say no matter what. But I will say that so many times when my children, especially when they leave the house and they say, bye, mom, I love you. I think that is the most special thing ever. Like to hear that all day long and my children so willingly say that, um, it's not something that I deserve. God has definitely put that love in their heart for me, just like I have that love for them. But that is um, a huge gift that as you sacrifice for your children and pour into them, man, the payoff of getting that love back, of getting someone um, who wants to talk to you, and wants your advice or will come to you for advice. And again, there's seasons and I completely get that. I'm right there. I'm, I'm in that with you. There's many things that I've told my older children that they don't want to hear. So we just wait. I mean, God will work it out. I, I can't control their life and God will show them and God will work it out. And I'm not worried about it. But the other thing, one of the other things that is really neat that is a huge payoff. And again, you don't, you see it when the kids are young, super young, and that's the admiration. So when they're super young, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, man, you are like a superhero to them. So you tell them something and it's just like gospel. You know, they just, oh my goodness, my mom said this, my dad said this, this is what really matters. This is, this is how this works. This is, um, and then it, it wanes for a while, like for a season, you know, because then they grow into this independent season and they start talking to other kids and the other kids have parents that say other things. And, and maybe you don't know as much as you once did. And especially during those teen years, um, I think especially as eighth, ninth, 10th grade happen, the kids think, well, maybe you don't know all that much or maybe I'm different. Maybe that was true when you were growing up, or maybe that was true in your life, but I'm different. And then typically I've seen a major shift in all the kids. So I've been teaching teens and doing youth group for a while. And right around 11th grade is when I would see a shift when kids would start thinking again, well, maybe my parents do know a few things. I think that it's sort of when they start realizing that they're not going to live at home forever and they're going to you know, go to college or they're going to be on their own shortly. And then all of a sudden they start thinking, mm, wait, maybe. Now it doesn't last very long, <laughs> but because they still have this, you know, total independence and thinking that maybe, um, maybe they can do it a whole lot better than you did it, which is fine. Again, these are all normal stages. And a little glimmer of hope for anybody out there who's teen or young adult is in total rebellion mode. I have a good friend who reminds me often that their brains are not done growing until they're 25 years old. So hang on, keep praying, hanging on. Um, but then also with the 
love and the admiration. I think one of the greatest joys and payoffs for a Christian mom is when her child owns their faith. And and that's a process. So we raise our children in the church. We, you know, do the devotions and the prayers and we teach these things to our children. But at some point, they are going to decide if that's something they're going to do or not. And I have told my children for years, I'm not going to be around forever. So just because I go to church and just because I want you to go to church doesn't mean that you um, are going to do that your whole life long. I'm not always going to be around to wake you up. You have to be the one who is getting up and wanting to go to church. You have to be the one who wants to open your Bible. You have to be the one who wants a relationship with God. You can't be saved on my relationship. That's That doesn't happen. I can't be saved on my parents' or my grandparents' relationship with God. You have to own your faith. And, um, you know, it's the Holy Spirit working. It's not uh, something that we're, you know, doing, you know, this grasping and accepting and and that type of thing. But there is a point when our children will decide if they're going to keep going to church. And it's in that young adult time, you know, when they go off to college and you're not waking them up every day, every Sunday, are they going to go to church? Are they going to have Christian friends? Are they going to continue on on the way that you have trained them? And a lot of kids do wander for a bit and maybe don't show up, don't see any need to go to church, whatever. But I think one of the most rewarding and wonderful payoffs of parenthood is when your children do want to be in church and do want a relationship with God and sitting with my grown children in church and having them come to communion with me and doing Bible studies with them. And um, that that's just a wonderful thing. And again, the prayer is always the prayer in our house for years and years and years while we've done devotions from the time our kids have been little. And while we're praying afterwards, we pray that God would keep us in his word, walking with him all the days of our life, and that he would bring us safely home to heaven. My children know I have made it very clear what I really want is them to be with me in heaven for eternity. I don't care how much money they make. I don't care, you know, um, about a lot of things. My preferences don't care, don't matter. But I do care that they walk with the Lord. I do want my children in heaven. So to me, that is the biggest thing. And right now is another crucial time. I mean, I have been trying to teach my children this from the time they were little. If you don't go to church on Thanksgiving, you've missed the whole point, right? I mean, the whole idea of Thanksgiving is to give thanks to God for all that he has done for us. So way more important than what we do afterwards, the meals, the games, the whatever, is being in church and thanking God for his abundant blessing in our life. Christmas, from the time my kids were little and were in Sunday school, I was Sunday school superintendent and our Christmas revolved around the Christmas program that we did. We either did it every other year. One year we'd do it a couple weeks before Christmas and the next year we did it on Christmas Eve. And until that Christmas program was done, that was all that we worried about. 
Like I could, I could deal with what next after the Christmas program was done. But first and foremost, we had a worship service to prepare for to edify the people in our congregation. So that was the point of Christmas. Thinking about why Jesus came to earth, why he had to come to earth, the great sacrifice he made, what it means to us, our salvation, etc. So I'm praying that my children will embrace that and that they will go uh, live their life in the same way. I have a ways before I see that. I, I still have some children at home and I don't know where they'll go, but I'm praying and I'm hoping that the example that we set will make them want to follow in our footsteps. God said in Isaiah 49 verse 15, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. God compared his love to a mother's love. That's a pretty special thing. He could have chosen anything to compare his love to his people to. And he chose a mother's love as the thing that encompassed and embodied his love for his people. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us to remember is that while we are loving our children and while we're making sacrifices and some seasons are way more sacrifice than payoff. And, um, you know, it's in the grind every day. But while you're doing that, remember, it's the same love that God has for us. And he'll carry us. He'll give us the strength. And when you do see the payoffs, you'll know it was all worth it. This has been little things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the episode. So here you go. Here's your sneak peek for next week. We're going to start the, drum roll please, Ten Commandments. I was so excited when I started studying them at the depth and how rich they are and how much, if you take them seriously, it can add to your faith walk that I could not wait to share everything that I learned with you. So stay tuned for some super practical, applicable, tangible things that we can do to really show our love for God and our neighbor. And if you want to get a head start, Pastor Jeremy has already been covering the Ten Commandments in his podcast, Bible Breath. So check out our episode notes and we'll direct you over that way. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.